being with you this morning. Well, <clears throat> one night while back, uh, it was one of those nights where you're you're sleepy, but you're not too sleepy to go to bed yet, and you're you know you're kind of clicking through the TV. And so one night I was watching, uh, I was clicking through, and I I came up to this hokey B movie, and I'm just skipping across a barrage of channels to find something to catch for you know uh, for a little little time to get tired and go to bed, and I stopped at this movie, and I can't even remember to tell you, tell you what movie it was, but it had a wise man, an old wise man, a fierce warrior who was on a quest, and a very familiar story, but for some reason, when the old wise man asked the young fierce warrior a question, it stuck with me, and this is a question, he says, what is it that you seek? Simple question, really. Yet very profound, especially in light of the fact that it came from a B-movie. Um, what is it that you seek? And more, so if you add my own word, what is it that you seek, really? And here's the truth. Everyone is a seeker. Everyone is seeking. We all, by nature, are seeking people. We live among seekers. They're all around us. Just look around. Some people seek money, others seek fame, others pleasure, others a sense of purpose or maybe something to validate themselves. Uh, some seek for love or sexual fulfillment, others for worldly power. Uh, some people might seek for a husband or a wife or children or a new job or a better job or a job that pays better or a better education or a new home or new friends or new church. We're all seekers. We're all seeking. The tragedy over time is that so many of us are wasting our lives seeking after things that really don't cut it. They really don't satisfy. And look at the big three. Money, sex, and power. We want money, so we sacrifice our families to get it. We want sex, so we sacrifice our morals to get it. We want power, so we sacrifice our friends to get it. And then when we do get it, it doesn't satisfy us. So, and I think that leads a lot of us to seek escape. We seek escape through the relief uh, of the things that we sought so hard for and we found were unfulfilling. Uh, we escape by numbing ourselves with highs and thrills and new searches for new things and new people that we have concluded will give us what we need what we yearn for, that, that deep hole. So we need to ask ourselves that B-movie question again. What is it that, and let's make, let's change it a little bit and make it personal. What is it that I seek for? Really. Really. One pastor, he said that, here's a simple test to help you discover what you truly seek in life. This test is absolutely foolproof. You can tell me, you tell me how you spend your time and your money, and I'll tell you what you're seeking for. You can say anything you like. You can come to church. You can look religious, put, but your time and your money don't lie. Show me your calendar and your checkbook, and I'll know the truth about your priorities. Interesting. I, I don't know about you. It's a bit scary to me. And for those of you that don't have a checkbook and you don't have a schedule book, don't think you're off the hook. 
because we still know that you have time and you still have money that you still spend. What is it that you seek, really? This week I read about a man who looked at his life and concluded that he was like the professor on Gilligan's Island. That's that's an old show, right? (laughs) And the professor knew how to turn banana peels into diesel fuel. Uh, he He could take algae and make chocolate pudding. But he could never get around to fixing the hole in the boat so they could escape the island. The man said, after he threw that out, he said, that's the same as me. I spent my life learning to do amazing things that didn't matter much, and I ignored the hole in my boat. And that's why I'm stuck where I am. Ouch. Does that describe somebody you might know? Maybe it describes you. Here's what I've learned about a good portion of our seeking is that rarely is our seeking accurate. Meaning that what we feel we are seeking for and what we are really seeking for are the same thing. Rarely is that the case. Because we disguise our seeking. We package it in different ways, don't we? And often we don't even realize it ourselves. For instance, somebody wants to, to, to love and be loved. So they become promiscuous thinking that the physical contact is somehow going to fulfill their desire for love. And it doesn't. So what do we seek? What do you seek? Really? Remember the old... I don't know why I just did that. I have this thing up here. Forced to have it. Remember the old Sunday school song? um, You know, where there was a, a glass of water up here somewhere, right? Ah, there it is. Thank you so much for that. Um, just because I'll forget it under there and I'll just. Um, there's an old Sunday school song. Probably a lot of you can, can repeat it with me. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up on a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. You know, Zacchaeus wasn't the first person, nor is he going to be the last, that wished he could see Jesus. But the crowd was in the way, you see. Interesting. I wonder. I'm going to throw a bunch of different lines with this little illustration. Some I'll tie up right away. Some I'll just leave dangling for a little bit. But I'm going to come back to them uh, in a while. Was seeing Jesus difficult because Zacchaeus was a wee little man? That's what the song says. I'm I'm thinking a Hollywood movie with Danny DeVito starring as Zacchaeus, right? Um, You know, was it that he couldn't see the crowd because he was too little? Interesting, the text itself does not make it clear whether... The short person was Zacchaeus or Jesus himself. In fact, the text oddly positions the Greek pronoun he so that it says in the King James Version, New American Standard, because he was little in stature, which may refer to Zacchaeus. Maybe it was speaking of Jesus. Just saying. Here's what the text actually says in the NIV. A man 
was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. New American Standard Version says, and he sought to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So who was the short of stature, Jesus or Zacchaeus? But listen, the guy Zacchaeus had wealth, he had power, he had position, and yet we find him in this little story seeking to see who Jesus was. Obviously, those things that he had previously sought and found didn't quite fill him up. So here he is on this new seeking quest, Jesus. And I love how the phrase is, is how, how the verse is phrased in this. It says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. And I thought about that. I mean, he knew who Jesus was. He was the teacher from Galilee. He was the preacher guy. He was causing a stir. But here he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He wanted to know who he was, not what he looked like. There's a string attached to that one. We'll uh, I'm not going to be able to tie that one up. That's a whole sermon in itself. Think about that one. Chew on that one. So who was the one short of stature? I'm going to come back to that. Jesus or Zacchaeus? It isn't really clear in the verse exactly. Sometimes the word isn't clear about things that it states. But sometimes it is crystal clear. And you have to go sideways to misunderstand it. So while the stature part isn't clear, what is crystal clear is that he was seeking Jesus. And it was to see who he was. And it's also clear that he was distracted in that vision, his focus by the crowd, and supposedly his own glaring imperfections. The whole seeking part is the crystal clear part. And it's the theme over and over and over in the Bible. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. <clears throat> Way too many times for me to quote verses for you because the list is almost endless. But let me give you a few. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Second. Chronicles 7.14. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Psalm 14. The poor will seek and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. Psalm 69. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29.13. And our passage this morning. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think it's pretty clear, don't you? Seeking God is pretty important. Now let me break that passage down just a bit. First, seek first. Not second. Not third. Not fourth. Not as an addition. Do not to fulfill a duty, not even an also or along with. But simply seek first. 
Interesting, he doesn't say, seek for the kingdom first, which is what Jesus would have said if he was maybe addressing a crowd of unbelievers. He was speaking to those who are already kingdom citizens here in this passage, those who most of us would call Christians. And he's telling them to make the interests of God's kingdom their priority. The previous verses, if you read before this particular passage, they're all talking about uh, other things that we choose to seek after, that we choose to make first in our life, that we choose to make the goal of our quests. And he's basically telling believers that when you seek after them, you're in all kinds of pain and hurt, all kinds of anxiousness and stress. And so he's clear all these other things like our appearance, our looks, our food, our security, our money, our finance, our plans, our schedules, etc., etc., etc. They're all secondary things. Now, I don't hear Jesus saying not to think about these things. He doesn't tell us it's wrong to consider these things or even to seek them, but just not to worry about them and don't ever, ever, ever seek them first. Really, the whole passage has given us a solution to anxiety and stress. And amazingly, it doesn't come in a pill or a liquid or a therapist office. It's telling us to stop being anxious, stop being anxious about tomorrow, stop worrying about it. Instead, think of the things of the kingdom first. Think of God first. Turn your mind on them. Dwell on them. Let those things, these first things, dominate our thoughts, flow through our thinking. Not those other tomorrow things. And after all, isn't that where we get all stressed out about? Isn't that where we get caught up and worry about tomorrow? One preacher said it this way. He said, do not imagine that the king commands us not to think about the future. Do not say that because God cares, you are not to provide for your wife and your children. In the case of your dying, let us have no nonsense talked about the evil of insurance. If any of us... If any provide not for his own, and especially for those in his own household, he hath denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever, says the apostle. And the whole teaching of Jesus is not that we should not reap, sow, gather, toil, spin, but that through our toil planning, we are not anxious. Through our reaping, we are to trust. In our gathering, we are to sing. As we toil, we are to rejoice. As we spin, we are to be quiet. It it is a call to a life that is frictionless because the principle of faith man takes hold upon God and submitting knows what it is to have his power operating through his work, through his life, providing for his needs. No life is complete, really, that doesn't feel some kind of great compulsion, a driving force behind it. And Jesus is telling us right here, here it is. Here's the compelling thing behind it. Here's the, here's the purpose is God's kingdom. Seek God's kingdom first. Let it be an underlying passion. Seek it everywhere, every day, all the time. The word seek, it demands an intensity. It demands a perseverance. It demands a zeal toward, toward that desired objective. It's not a passive word. Seek. It's an action word. It implies intentionality. So he tells us to seek, seek his kingdom. And then he says, uh, or seek, <clears throat> seek first. And then he says, tells us what to seek, seek his kingdom. Those are the things that exist in the kingdom of God. Now stop and listen. Those are the eternal things. 
those things that are going to last forever. I mean, if I had a line, if I had a cord, a rope, and we started it at, we started it at that end, way, way in that end when life began, and we, it just keeps going. And we take a piece of tape and wrap it right around, right here, just this little half inch. That's our life. That's it. And so what God is saying, don't let this little inch dominate your eternity. Think about those things, the eternal things, the things that are going to last forever. Why are you getting so caught up in these small little half-inch things? Words like grace and forgiveness and mercy and faith and hope and joy, they're to be sought, they're to be embraced, they're to be shared, they're to be celebrated. These are some of the kingdom things that will last forever. Listen, sin is not going to last forever. Hurt won't last forever. Pain, tears, they won't last forever. They're not necessarily of the kingdom, right? Neither will revenge or vengeance or winning or losing or failure or fear. So he said, stop wasting your time and energy thinking about those things. Stop and think about how much time and energy you and I, we spend thinking about those things. Nursing our hurts. Nursing our, our, our wounds, our wrongs, our failures, our, our pains. How much of life do we allow to be dominated by those kinds of thoughts? No wonder, no wonder why some of us struggle with depression. So he tells us to seek first his kingdom those kingdom things that will last forever. And then he says, and seek his righteousness. This is powerful. Righteousness. It, 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 it comes from a word that means being prop, proper or right in the sense of being fully justified or being in accordance with what God requires. It is the quality of being upright. It conveys the idea of conformity to a standard of norm. The righteousness of God. It really is the right of God. It could be stated simply as all God is. And so what he's commanding, what, 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 what he's saying to us is, I want you to seek God's righteousness. Seek the rightness of God. Seek, essentially, his righteousness is all he is. Seek his character. So when you're told to seek His righteousness, we're being told to seek God, to seek Him. Not, not being religious, not Bible study, not Christian disciplines. Seek Him personally. It's a relationship. Seek Him. You know, I'm a driving instructor, and there's a, there's a simple, um, it's, a, it's a principle, it's, it's an international, international. it's a, a, a universal principle, of what you seek, you find. And I'm a driving instructor, and I tell my students every day that when you get into the car to take your driving test with that examiner, I don't want there to be any reason for the examiner to inspect your driving any more than they need to. I don't want you to draw attention to anything that they need to look at with a fine-tooth comb because if they want 
to find imperfections in your driving, they will. All they need is to look. I'm not saying they're bad drivers. Most of them are good drivers. But I said, when you turn your head to look to the left, exaggerate it. Let them know he's looking. Don't just think, ah, I'm pretty savvy. I can just look at the mirror there. No, turn their head. You don't want there to be any doubt in their minds that you looked. Don't draw attention to it. Then they'll start looking a little bit more. Because what we seek, we find. And this is true in almost every area and realm of life. Unless we, unless we seek, we'll not find. But what we seek, for good or for bad, we eventually find. One of my students mentioned that he was seeing a lot of Ford Mustangs. He's a big car buff. And he said, I'm seeing Ford Mustangs all over the place. I want to buy one of those. And so I said, yeah, I don't really see too many Ford Mustangs. But you know, that day I saw them all over the place. Because suddenly, for the first time, I was looking for Ford Mustangs. I can't believe how many Ford Mustangs are on the road right now. Now, see, even though you're going to put that aside, you're going to go and you're going to say, there's a Ford Mustang. Oh, there's another Ford. You're going to see all kinds of Ford Mustangs today. It's a principle. We take this principle even into our relationships, don't we? Uh, if, you're looking some imperfect, if you're looking for imperfections in a person, the failures, the bad parts of them, you will always find them. Your attention will begin to look at all the wrong, all the bad in them, because that's what you're seeking. But if you're looking for the good, you're going to be started, you're going to, start, get, you're going to become uh, drawn to the good things that they're doing, the good things about them, because it's what you're seeking. It doesn't mean you're blind to the bad, just that your seeking heart is able to overlook it because it's not your quest. Too often we don't see God because He's not what we're seeking for. And when we start to seek Him, watch out, because He's everywhere, in everything. And suddenly now something bad happens to us, and we sit there, and suddenly now because we're seeking God, okay, God, what are you doing here? <laughs> what are you doing here? This is really bad. <laughs> something good's going to come. I, I don't know what you're doing here. Our attitude changes because of our quest, because of our seeking. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Seek Him first. Let Him dominate our thoughts. And He says, and all these things will be added unto you. All these other things, the things that cause us anxiety and worry, all our tomorrows and today's needs and desires and dreams, even those things that we call spiritual, like Bible study, prayer and worship, they're all added to us when we begin to seek Him first. These other things like, like purpose and joy and companionship and love and contentment and hope and needs met, desires filled, all of it then is added to us. He isn't clear just how or in what form, just that they will be at it. I love what C.S. Lewis once said. He said, love God with all your heart and then do as you please. When we seek Him with all of our hearts, He gives us the desires of our hearts. That's what the psalmist says. <laughs> he will change our heart so that what our heart starts to desire will be what His heart desires. And then He'll give us what we desire. Because of this truth, we need to learn to trust the other things to our Father. Trust them to Him after your work is over, after your planning is done, after you've sown, after you've reaped, after you've gathered. 
Leave the rest to God. And if you don't think by your calculation that your doing, reaping, and gathering is enough, then just stop and think. <laughs> don't you think God already counted on that? I don't need to worry because I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to lean on Him. I'm going to acknowledge Him, His ways, His character, because the Father knows and He becomes our blank check for necessities. The thing, These things will be added unto you, He says. God will always keep His word to the letter and, and very often He'll go above and beyond anything we can imagine or dream of. Isn't that what Scripture says? Solomon was told to ask for anything from God, and he asked for wisdom. And it says, and the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he promised, 1 Kings 5. And while he gave Solomon wisdom, he said, I'm going to give you all these other things because you didn't ask for them. And he added those thousand other things that weren't in the agreement just because he can. Just because Solomon chose to seek right. The God who makes promises about infinite blessings is going to throw everyday things in as if they were a small account. And we're given. It's just a matter of the course. Yeah, tomorrow's not going to be easy. Tomorrow's a tough task, a disagreeable duty, a costly sacrifice, even for somebody that doesn't, we don't deem worthy of it. Life is full of testings of our willingness to follow Jesus. But he says, seek first God and uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. God who gives you heaven is not going to deny you some road for some bread for the road. Once again, anxiety is always about the future. It's always about tomorrow. And Jesus sums the whole thing up and he says, take therefore no thought about tomorrow for tomorrow will take thought of, for the things of itself. Someone once said, you can't kill tomorrow's anxiety by being anxious about it today. So Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Some translations say that each day will have evil of its own, meaning not evil in the sense of Satan, but evil in meaning adversity, troubles. Every day that's going to come is going to have its evil, its adversity. Uh, tomorrow... Uh, Tomorrow uh, is, is going to have some trouble. And we don't really know what that is. So we have to leave it to him. We have to focus in on him and his kingdom now. Or we spend time worrying about something we can't control then. And we start to see tomorrow's troubles today. And the day after that, it's troubles today. And before we know it, we're up in a tizzy and we're, we're having a tough time living today. Why? Because of what we were seeking. I came across a little prayer. I love it. Lord, for tomorrow and its needs, I do not pray. Keep me, O Lord, from the stain of sin just for today. So what is it that you seek, really? And don't play games with yourself on this one. Be honest with that question, believers. And if you're not a believer here, maybe you really need to think about that question as well and say, what is it that I'm seeking? Really? And if I find it, is it really going to do what I hope it's going to do. Are you sure about that? Here are some five quick suggestions to stimulate your, your seeking first, God's kingdom and His righteousness. First, we have to admit our need. You cannot change until you admit that you need a change. If you are happy the way you are, then I have nothing to say to you. I really don't. But if you're tired of turning banana peels into diesel fuel while there's a hole in your boat, then we need to pay attention to this verse, right? 
Somebody said, most of us are about as close to God as we want to be. We have about as much joy as we want, about as much peace as we want. Abraham Lincoln said that most people are about as happy as they want to be. Could that be true? We are, we are the way we are because that's the way we want to be. Either we're happy that way or we've accepted that this is who we are and we're not going to change. For the most part, you are where you are right now because that's where you want to be. If you're hungry for something better, more from God, you can have it. But the first step is to admit that you need it. The second is to cry out God for help. The Lord said in Psalms that he's near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is looking for us to fall into him. And often that happens when we are only at our wit's end, at the end of our rope. And that's when we throw up our hands and we say, God, I can't. Only you can. And that's when God says, why did it take so long for you to get here? And the truth is that until we conclude that, we will always try to seek for something else. So admit your need, cry out to God for help. Third, surround yourself with God-seeking people. This is a tough one. You know who they are. God-seekers aren't hard to spot. Find some friends who truly seek the Lord and stay close to them. Go where they go. Do what they do. Follow their example. Talk with them. And here's a key. Let them talk to you. Eventually, one of two things tends to happen. Either they will drive you nuts and you will leave them or they will start to rub off on you and you will become a God seeker too. (laughs) Interesting, Zacchaeus couldn't see because of the crowd. They were a distraction from him seeing Jesus. We all have distractions like that too, don't we? And sometimes those distractions can be people. Some people just aren't good for us if we want to be a seeker. I'm not saying blow them off or tell them, hey, you're a distraction from God. I need to not spend time with you anymore. That wouldn't go over too well, and that's not what God is looking for us. But what I am saying is that when we begin to seek God with all of our heart, that tends to naturally happen on its own. But other things, uh, there, other things can be distractions. Other things can rob us of our, of our focus, can steal our focus, our attention. And they may even be good things. So we need to evaluate and surround ourselves with God-seeking people. My driving students are often looking at the road ahead of them. You know, they're not caught up in looking in the rearview mirrors, but believe me, they do that too. But a lot of times they're looking through the windshield, they're looking forward, but they get distracted by things that they should be looking at, but they put too much focus and too much attention on them. For instance, a line, the yellow line going down the middle of the road, sometimes they focus too much on that, or the white line over here on the road, next thing I know is they're leaning to the right side, or sometimes a a stop sign, and, 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 and they get so focused on some of the things that they should be looking at, but they give it too much attention. It's a good thing. But it robs them over time attention because they need to be looking at the scope of, of what's in front of them. And I think we can do that too. We can get caught up with things. And anytime we take our focus, our attention off of Jesus Christ and onto any other thing, we begin to go awry. We begin to get a little bit crooked. 
Other God seekers are going to help us keep our focus. Not because they're going to sit down and they're going to say, Dave, let me tell you something about what you've been doing here. No. Because, and here's what, because they rub off on us, because they're sitting there and they're saying, Ah, oh, Dave, man, I got my focus off of Jesus yesterday. Uh, you know, this week I've just been so caught up with work, and it, it's killed me. I made a bad decision here, a bad decision here. I yelled at this person here, and, and I'm just, it's, it's, you know, I, I just wasn't focusing on Jesus. And I, I'm watching. I'm sitting here with this man as he's pouring out his heart on those brink of tears saying, I neglected God this week. What do you think that does to me? He's a God seeker, but he's a human being like all of us. He messed up and he's saying, I need to get back on track. Where do you think that makes me want to get back on track? Because seekers do that to one another. And their desire stirs our own. Fourth, wait on God. It's hard discipline for us to practice. Uh, God, give me patience, but I want patience, but I want it right now. And we kind of live like that, and spiritual maturity is waiting for God to bring that about. Because it's not going to happen at 11 a.m. It's not going to happen. We're not accustomed to patiently waiting for the Lord. But read in Scripture how much it talks about patiently waiting as God begins to to develop us. Patiently wait on Him. And that's tough, but one of the things that I found is that if we are focusing on Jesus and waiting on Him, our hearts grow very hot and warm toward him. And what happens is our souls become very hungry for him. And when he does begin to develop, it's, it's a celebration of a magnitude many of us have never felt or experienced. And fifthly, and this is what I'm going to close with, spend time alone with him. Praying. Do it out loud. You probably don't want to do that too many times. People might think you're nuts. Maybe you want to find a, a place away from everybody. And in his word, so often, uh, his word comes, comes to us speaking from his very mouth. And when we are in it, when we're in it, but we need to be in it to hear him. Uh, Mark tells us that Jesus had the habit of getting up early while everybody was still asleep and it was still dark out. And it says that he goes out to a desolate place and there he prays. Now, why does he need to pray? He's God. Why does he need to pray? Why does he need to go to an alone place? Can't he just kind of like sit in the corner and get in the bubble? I mean, why does he have to go to a desolate place where nobody... Because there's no distractions there. Because he's showing us his humanity. He's showing us that he's human too. I believe there is a direct connection between being used by God and growing in our faith and the alone time we spend with him, seeking him. Interesting about our friend Zacchaeus. He couldn't see Jesus because of the distractions, one being the crowd and the other probably his height. Regardless if it was him or whatever reason, he needed to get up in that tree alone to get a clear view. A place where distractions were pushed aside and he could see and he could hear. And I don't know of any other place that we can go and gain gain a a clear perspective about our own hearts, our own quests, our own imperfections. Uh, which many, for many of us, our perfections, our failures, our weaknesses, not the crowds have been our greatest distraction from Jesus. But we need to get those alone places where we can see Jesus, where we can perceive him, where we can hear from him. And, and here's the great thing. As Zach was seeking God, seeking Jesus, Jesus was seeking him. 
After all, it was Zacchaeus' climb into the tree, free from distractions. Then Jesus walked over to him and said, Hey, Zach, let's go to your house. I want to hang out with you today. But it was only after he climbed up in the tree. It was only after he got alone, free from those distractions. And I wonder, could not that story be saying maybe something like that to us? Get alone with your God. Talk to him honestly. Let him speak back. Maybe he wants to spend time with us. And what a comforting thought to know that as I'm seeking him, he's already sought me. How cool is our God? What is it that you seek? Really? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have made it very, very clear to us that our heart needs to be a seeking heart toward you. Father, you've made it clear that we seek for so many things that don't fulfill. And Lord, I pray that you would reach deep inside of us, that you would cause us to feel this great need for you. For our salvation yet, yes. But Lord, I pray that you would cause in us a deep desire to know you, to know the deepness of who you are. Father, I pray that you would fill us with an overwhelming, burning heart for you. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to run through the fields of forgiveness and grace. That you would show us who you are. And Lord, as you do, I pray that we would find a joy and a fulfillment that we've never experienced before. And Father, as we celebrate this morning the sacrifice that you made for us, I pray, Father, that it would draw us into this deeper, abiding relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.